Think about it. We're already at the midway point of the NFL season. That's so, crazy. Yeah, where did the time go? That's crazy. It's the Air It Out podcast brought to you by Inside the Hashes. InsideTheHashes.com for your high school, college, and professional football needs. Get all sorts of info there. Uh, we've got football on lockdown around here. Don't forget that Madden tournament. If you're good with the sticks, pick them up. You can get registered. Uh, that's going to be going down the 10th and 11th of November. Some prizes there some cash to win a little bit so if you got that madden swag go ahead and get yourself registered we got some swag around here what up with the air it out podcast it's kevin crockett christopher thomas avery collins and tyler brando and uh fellas we are at the midway point one of the things that we had uh discussed a little bit last week that i'm happy has come to fruition for the nfl is that the trade deadline all of a sudden is a thing it's something to look forward to i'm, I'm sure you, you guys will get into existence i'm trying to man <laughs> Just like when I said I'm going to win the Powerball someday, just so we got that on record, Lord. <laughs> uh, but finally, we, we, had, we had kind of talked about what the other leagues mm-hmm. had that the NFL didn't, and the NFL being the powerhouse that it is, had to be happy with the fact that, as just like I'm sure you guys were probably refreshing your Twitter timeline every so often just to see if anything was breaking, because it seemed like anybody that was on a losing team at this point, it was like, oh, I heard this guy could get moved, that guy could get moved, but certainly some moves were made. Golden Tate for a third-round pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. Haha Clinton Dix for a fourth-round pick to the Washington Redskins. Demarius Thomas for a fourth-round pick to the Houston Texans, pretty much taking that spot left open by an injured Will Fuller, who... Man, if there's a dude you just want to see stay healthy, it's that young man, Will Filler. I mean, just say Houston, Texas team in general. Yes, I mean, for real. I mean, they are. The, you look at the Washington Redskins and the Houston Texans over the last few years. It, they're, they're two teams that you see that talent's there. It's yeah. just they, they're always battling injuries. Uh, that was her fourth-round pick and a swap of sevenths. Uh, <laughs> Ty Montgomery got training on the Green Bay too. The ball, <laughs> yo, they that was a total like like Ty. You don't gotta go home, but you gotta get him out of here. <laughs> like you are not making this trip back. Like if if Baltimore had called and been like, we'll send you crab cakes, they'd have been like, I don't right, cool. send fifty two. We'll give one to everybody <laughs> on the crab roster. Crab cakes warm. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Frozen crab cakes. It didn't yeah. matter. Throw them uh, in but, the oven. So um, we're looking and, – and you go back to the Amari Cooper trade. There were some other moves that were made. Uh, Josh Gordon getting traded as well. Uh, just So let's talk about that a little bit. What were your thoughts uh, as the trade deadline approached yesterday? Afterward, was there a player you thought would move that didn't? What did you think of the deals? Chris, I'm going to start with you. I was actually a lot – I was actually surprised about all the wide receivers getting moved because, like, we talked about with the trade deadline – we talked about like how hard it is for like new players who get automatically traded to get integrated in the office. I think wide receiver is they assume like probably like the easiest to like integrate, especially like if you're a Demarius Tom, Demarius Thomas, you now have to play outside where Will Fuller used to play with DeAndre Hopkins. It's man, I, I don't know, man. Will Fuller just it's just sucks. it's tough. Yeah, it's because it, it seems like he he's always slow to come back. And then finally he bursts on the scene again and he puts together a string of games and then just like that. But yeah, I like the Demarius Thomas trade. Like he has eighty plus catches since two thousand twelve. So basically since Tim Tebow was his quarterback. That's that's really impressive to have. He, he obviously has a history with drops, but he is still able to get those one on one matchups and it, it's a lot and it keeps the pressure off of Demarius Thomas from like getting double teamed because you still have to worry about a former Pro Bowl wide receiver on that side. Golden Tate, I like the move from Philadelphia. Four straight ninety 90, 90 catch our seasons and he has the most yards after the catch since 2014 led the wide receivers in yards after the catch in three of the last four seasons and he's second on third down catches since 2014 
the one thing that Philadelphia was able to do so well last year is that on third down, the Philadelphia Eagles were probably the best in, in the entire NFL on third down. Carson Wentz, that was the money down for him. And you go out and you get a proven wide receiver. He may be 30. He may be on an expiring contract. But that's probably the best third down wide receiver you could possibly have at your disposal. You you line him up with him. You can line him up inside or outside. You have still have Nelson Aguilar. You still have Alshon Jeffrey. Jordan Matthews is still coming into form. He's getting a lot more comfortable now. And you still have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard still coming, still coming along. So it's going to be a lot tougher. And it's finally going to get this Philadelphia Eagles offense going because a lot of people keep saying, oh, what about the secondary help? The, this defense isn't – like big plays aside and Jalen Mills aside, they've allowed the seven fewest points in the NFL. The problem is that the offense is not as explosive as it was last year. Philadelphia made their way on blowing out teams and being up two to three scores and then letting the dogs unleash – with with Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox going right after the quarterback. So I like the move for Golden Tate. It allows them to put more offensive points on the board and it – and more importantly, get some geared up for a second half run because Washington is just right there with them. It's interesting. So Washington goes out and gets Haha Clinton Dix. You had mentioned how Golden Tate is a yak and a third down machine. The one thing that the Eagles are missing right now is anybody that can make a player make somebody miss. Yes. And whether it's running them over, whether it's a cut, whatever it is, and that's Golden Tate's forte. Uh, and third down, the Eagles are four and zero when they're over fifty percent on third down. They are zero and four in the games that they're not, and they're not even close to 50%. We're talking 20 and low 30% on third down. So uh, I think a lot of people in Philly wanted somebody that could take the top off, but the reality is it's you need somebody that can help you keep your offense on the field. Yeah. Avery, what would you think of the trade deadline? I just wanted to kind of speak on that real quick um, as far as Golden Tate. Well, one, um, to your point, he is one of the better third down receivers in the league. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say the best. Uh, I would still give that to Julian Edelman. Um, but um, no, I, I do agree that he can definitely help the offense. The, my only issue is how soon. Um, to your point, uh, I guess receiver is one of those uh, positions where it's easier to get acclimated. You can probably get acclimated faster. Um, but I just don't know. Like, I don't think the season's too far gone necessarily for the Eagles, especially because of the division that they're playing in. Um, and, you know, I don't think anybody here is really true believers in um, Washington. It's a possibility now that they have haha, but even still, um, you know, it'll, it'll, t- it'll take some some more for me to believe in them. So I, I don't think it's too far gone. I just wonder how long it'll take uh, for Golden Tate to to get acclimated. But for me, um, the haha the haha trade actually was one of my favorites. I mean, now you have two of the, um, in my opinion, marquee playing safeties in the in the league right now on the same team. Um, I mean, I just don't think that um, either one of them. Uh, respectively is outside of the top 10 um, as far as safeties. And I think that the way that they're playing right now, um, I think it bodes well for them in the playoffs. They want to play very physical. You know, they like to run the ball. Um, they want to stop you from running the ball. They want to play a physical football game. So I think that the ha-ha trade was, uh, was, was really good. Um, Demarius Thomas uh, to the Texans, that was shocking to say the least. I, w- I actually wasn't expecting that. Um, but it, it makes sense, you know. Um, again, Will Fuller being hurt, that it really does. It really does suck. Um, but I think, like I said, for me, the one that really, really stuck out and I was like, wow, that's that's a really good trade was um, was definitely the ha-ha trade. I think a lot of people were up in arms like, oh, goodness, like, you know, these receivers are going for third, fifth, and fourth-round picks. Why in the world would Amari Cooper 
be you know worth a first <laughs> and it's like and i'm like again it, for the cowboys it kind of makes and then on the top of the fact that he's the youngest of the of them all right um you know i, I think all of those things played a factor into why he you know was worth quote unquote uh, a first round uh in, in dallas's opinion so um but I'm very, very shocked that Le'Veon didn't get dealt. That is the biggest shock as far as somebody who didn't get dealt. Um, just because James has been playing well, um, you know, you kind of know what you're getting from him now, um, and you still don't know what's going on with Le'Veon. Like he, you know, obviously he has two weeks to report now. But even if he does, it's kind of like, well, Le'Veon does hold the cards in that whole situation because you can't trade him until he signs. So. He, in his mind, might be thinking, like, I don't want to go ahead and uproot everything. that I, I'm not going to go to – hypothetically, let's just use the situation. I'm not going to go to Green Bay for the next eight weeks, uproot my life, learn all this stuff. If I don't even have any intention of wanting to stay and play in Green mm-hmm. Bay, like, the Steelers really didn't have – all those rumors were out there, but at the end of the day, they would have had to have gone to Le'Veon and been like, we want to trade you here. Can you sign this tender so we can move you? And then all of a sudden, it's their problem, not ours anymore. Uh, to go back to the Amari Cooper thing, I, I think a lot of people initially it was kind of an overreaction. You heard that maybe the Eagles were a team that had offered a second-round pick, so Dallas wanted to get aggressive, maybe saw that they should have won that game against Washington and realized, okay, maybe this division is more up for grabs than we think. Mm-hmm. He was the youngest player out there. Typically, you don't see players get moved in their mid to or you know mid-20s when they're kind of in their prime, unless it's Khalil Mack, which all of us are still scratching our heads right. over about that one. But it looks like Dallas has all the intentions to sign Amari Cooper to an extended deal. Uh, the trade deadline, again, kind of what we talked about was so exciting for all the other sports. Typically you see guys that are around that 30 age or around that high cap number that maybe going into next year you're a team that doesn't want to have to worry about that cap number but this like we're we're not taking any steps right right exactly so uh the the nfl moving the trade deadline up two weeks i think is a brilliant move obviously uh it had twitter and social media and everybody pretty excited yesterday i'm kind of interested you you look at the franchises that have had success i mean everybody obviously wants to fit that patriots mold that dynasty mold the patriots are a team that does exactly what they did in that josh gordon trade they went out they got a player who could burst onto the scene for a low round draft pick they've been known to get rid of players that are just about to hit that 30 age and get rid of them and get assets in return and it just shows you what a good franchise is versus a franchise where you shake your head. So I look at that Golden Tate trade, and I think right off the bat, okay, if you're going to make that trade, you know, everybody always talks about compensatory picks. Well, how compensatory picks are determined ultimately is how you approach free agency. So if Detroit went out and signed a bunch of people, they weren't going to get as high of a pick in return for Golden Tate if they just let him walk at the end of the year. You guarantee yourself that Eagles third-round pick here, so that makes sense. A pick that's pretty high I, I think you know you're talking probably yeah. about a, a pick around 100 right there you know the, the Eagles probably going to be picking towards the back end of the draft so something between 90 and 100 you would assume is that pick you're guaranteeing yourself mm-hmm. that pick um but then why the week before did you go out and trade for snacks Harrison so it's just like the idea of like what a good franchise does with good people in the front office with a head coach that communicates with all that stuff you you, you see you know the Giants are one in seven and people are frustrated about it, but I think they did the right thing. They, they sold. They're like, okay, we, we made the mistake of thinking we could retool. Now we realize we need to rebuild. Let's get rid of what we can and try to get assets yeah. back in return. 
I just think it's fascinating to look at the first like kind of real NFL trade deadline, and you, you you saw teams that you look at what the Rams did getting Dante Fowler. I mean, a guy who Bruh. you know who probably is off the radar, but now all of a sudden you're going to put him next to Sue, and you're going to put him next to Donald. You don't think Dante Fowler's name is going to come up? Oh yeah, a sure. little bit more. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you see the teams that are moving in in the right direction and you see teams like like the Detroit Lions that are always just we talked about it in the beginning of the year the Detroit Lions are just 7 and 9 8 and 8 9 and 7 somewhere in that range you hope they get in the playoffs and then low expectations after that the only thing i can think of to rationalize that is um that they're they're worried about defense they feel like defense is the the hole right um offensively like to me, what it what it seems like again, I don't, I don't. This isn't you know fact or anything like that. It's just opinion based on what I'm seeing. I think what they believe is Matthew Stafford can kind of put points up with anybody, right? Like I think that's what their their mindset is. We don't need a Golden Tate. We still got uh, Marvin Jones. We, we we he can put up the numbers and the points with anybody. Defensively, we have to stop people from scoring. I think that's what their mindset is. Is uh, especially you know being, you know Matt Patricia. He was uh, he's a big coming from being a defensive coordinator, like, you know, defense is just kind of embedded in them. So I think that's the only thing that I'm thinking of why they did something like that. I, I hear what you're saying, but when you lose 28-14 to 14 to a Seattle team at home with, you know, Seattle's yeah. got pieces, but they're not the Rams, they're not the Saints, they're not the Patriots, they're not the Chiefs. Yeah. Like, but low-key have been playing very well. Right, look like <laughs> like sneakily under the yes. like. I think people don't realize that they're four and three. That both of those yeah, teams were three, three and three yeah. going into that game last yeah. week, and kind of a something's got to give game. Chris, go ahead. Um, I think one of the to me one of the shocking things is that the Saints made it open that Teddy Bridgewater was open for a trade, and I'm kind of shocked that Jacksonville. that Jacksonville didn't like try to put like an offer, like maybe a four for a fifth round pick for him. And considering that the troubles that they've had with Blake Bortles over the past several weeks without Leonard Fournette, and now that it's been reported that like he's had some health issues after the London game, and now they signed Landry Jones, I'm like, so a fifth round pick, like if Blake Bortles has to miss a game or two, I think Teddy Bridgewater is like probably the best quarterback to have at that moment, and that that will carry for you for if Leonard Fournette is still out. And also another thing, I, even though Patrick Peterson came out and said that I, I want to be the solution to Arizona's problems. I'm surprised Arizona just didn't like, was like, you know what? We'll just trade you. We're, we're starting all, we're starting over. Let's get the, like, let's get the most that we could possibly get out of you. And the two thing, the two teams I really have was the Chiefs because the Chiefs need secondary help bad. They, they could put up points with just about anybody. Um, we, we've seen that like all across the league, like Patrick Mahomes is the first quarterback since Peyton Manning back in 04 to have four straight games with 300 yards and four TDs. And and I'm surprised that they didn't they didn't like like fill out an offer for like Patrick Peterson for like a third round pick or or San Diego for that matter. Do you think that Arizona didn't trade Patrick because they realized that there's a shift in the tide as far as in the division, and it's a possibility that the rebuild doesn't take as long as they thought, and they they think you know well we still do we're going to need a shutdown corner we're going to need a, a cornerstone on that defense. Why not keep them and then try to make this rebuild much faster? Yeah, but also they still have a, a lot of holes, especially in the office. You have to think that this is probably Larry Fitzgerald's last year, mm -hmm. so you have to start getting assets to start legitimately building around Josh Rosen. That offensive line is absolutely horrible. So 
you just have David Johnson and Christian Kirk. You still really don't have a really reliable tight end as well. You have Ricky Steele Jones. I like Ricky Steele Jones, but he's not a number one tight end either, or should be a number one option for a rookie quarterback going into his second year. Yeah, I think I think their draft is going to be a lot of linemen. Yeah, um, probably a, a speedster receiver or, or or somebody who's like a possession receiver, like like a Larry. Um, and then possibly maybe one or two picks will be fit. If I was the Cardinals, that's what I would do. I, offensive line, because like you said, their their offensive line is horrible. I mean, but then again, isn't this something that w- that w- we were just kind of touching on with the whole Detroit Lions thing? Like you have assets, you have to be real. If if Josh Rosen was showing flashes of, you know, I'm trying to like Carson Wentz's rookie year, the Eagles go seven and nine, but you you saw like yeah. okay, like there's not a lot of good in Arizona right now. So, so he why also are played you not... behind a better line though? Right. No, <laughs> I, no. And I agree with you, but, but shouldn't you, the first, I mean, you could ask people all the time what, what they think, how you would build a franchise, but don't you think the best thing that you could do is okay. We've had this conversation before. If you had to build a team by position, you know, skill positions aside from quarterback, aren't typically up there you think quarterback you think offensive tackle you think defensive line you think you think you yeah. think win the line of scrimmage and have a quarterback that can win games for you so why and again maybe the cardinals did get maybe we're expecting more out of it and thought okay i mean reality is Pat, patrick peterson still a top five cornerback in the league so you don't just want to let that go for nothing but it, it and then you talk about larry fitzgerald maybe larry goes to, to management and says like look like i I just want to finish out my career here. Like I've, I've done enough. Like if the, if X, Y, if the Patriots call, okay, listen to it. But you wonder how much the players have involved in it. You wonder how yeah. much of it is. Yeah. Cause the, the thing that you see, I feel like kills franchises all the time is exactly what the new England Patriots don't do. They don't let their guys get old. They go yeah. out and they retool. The only guy that's really been there for that long is Tom Brady. And that's yeah. because he's the most valuable player arguably every single year. So yeah. uh, you just see what these franchises are doing. And, you know, as much as I, uh, you, you look at what the Raiders have done, you, you kind of laughed at it, but all of a sudden you get a first round pick from, from the Cowboys and you have five first round picks in the next two seasons for a coach that's trying to build things his yeah. way. You look yeah. at what the Giants did. The Giants said, okay, well, Kyle Lalletta just, you know, kind of some bonehead decisions this week. But, uh, you know, I was the guy that was, was actually a franchise quarterback. I was the guy that was actually high on, I shouldn't say high on Kyle Lalletta, but was interested to see what he could do, especially as a mid-round pick in an offense like that. Like, he's got pieces there, so maybe he can do something that Eli hasn't been able to do just because he's a little more younger, a little spry, maybe can get out of the pocket a little bit, try to do something different for the Giants. But <laughs> you just you're at a point now where I think the biggest problem teams have in all the major sports is you, you wait too long. You hold on too long when you should honestly knock everything down and start all over. Agreed. Uh, it is Halloween, so uh, we want to get into uh, uh, just a quick discussion. Uh, scary time of the year, you know, more, uh, 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 going on out there. Uh, so <laughs> we had, more, uh, 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 Scary, bro. You get it. Uh, so we got into the discussion a little bit last week. Uh, about the scariest player in the NFL. And I thought we'd open it up a little bit and talk about who the scariest player was in NFL history. Um, And I've never seen, like, a man move another man bigger than him like Reggie White. Like, I could not imagine (laughs) trying to play offensive tackle or even be a chipping tight end against Reggie White. Like, I I think it's – 
lost. First of all, when he went to Green Bay and changed free agency forever, like like Reggie White changed free. First of all, because he went to Green Bay, who's doing that? But secondly, because he was the first one to be like, really, really the first one to be like, yo, I am an elite player and I'm going to go and do what I want to do. Um, but from a physical specimen standpoint, I mean, built like just a house of bricks and the way that he was able to not just move like, and every once in a while you see it, you'll see an offensive lineman pancake, a defensive lineman. You'll see a defensive lineman, like throw an offensive lineman somewhere, but with regularity, the way that Reggie white would move men would move grown men (laughs) would move grown men who are elite at their position was just absolutely insane. And, Honestly, I don't know that we've seen anybody do it as well and as consistently and as strong as he did since then. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Scariest player in the NFL. If you had to line up against somebody, you'd be like, row, row. Um, I grew up a lot um, around my grandmother and my dad, and they would just tell me stories because my grandmother was a huge Randall Cunningham fan. And I just heard all the stories about how much they hated the New York Giants back in the day, especially during the 80s, and Lawrence Taylor. That man was an absolute freak of nature. He absolutely ended Joe Theismann's career. And when you think about all the pass-rushing linebackers, especially now with like Von Miller, Khalil Mack, he was the first to do it. It wasn't seen as, as frequent and as often back then, but Lawrence Taylor was just an absolute like stud. He moved everybody. He got through everybody. He had multiple 20-sack seasons. And I, I can't imagine, like, Lawrence Taylor playing in this era. He'd probably kill somebody. Well, it's even to your point. I mean, you look at Bill Belichick was a coach with him back in the day in the Giants and Bill Parcells and Khalil Mack when the Bears and Patriots took one another on, got that question from in his press conference, and they said, you know, it was Khalil Mack at Lawrence Taylor's level. And Bill Belichick, who typically doesn't focus on anything other than the team that he's playing that week, literally was like, don't, no one breathes Lawrence Taylor's air. So that's, <laughs> that's a good point by you. I mean, I, I'm not trying to line up against LT. Everybody got. I think for me, it depends on position. Um, I think defensively, if I had to pick somebody, it would be Ed Reed. Um, I know that sounds kind of kind of weird, but Ed Reed literally put fear in offenses' minds. Like the fact that you could not throw basically <laughs> anywhere deep down the field. You're like, yo, we can't take any deep shots because Ed's back there. He was ridiculous. And then people also feared the fact that he could hit. It's not like he was just some some slouch back there who was just catching picks. He was literally, he, he to me, literally changed the way the safety position is played. Like, everybody wants an Ed Reed now. Like, somebody who can go and cover from sideline to sideline, but also can come down and hit you, um, you know, like the Earl Thomas mode. Um, but Ed was, like, to me, the first one that was like that. He was somebody who could cover. He could cover a slot. He could cover the tight end. He honestly, if he wanted to, could cover receivers. And then he also was able to come up and bang. Offensively, I think from a mental standpoint, Peyton Manning. When you had to play Peyton Manning, you're like, oh my, what do we, because as a defense coordinator, you're like, yo, he's probably got this figured out already. <laughs> he probably already knows what we're going to do. He probably seen every scheme available. And then you hear stories about him running practices and telling the defense, if you do this, I'm doing this. So don't do this because I would do this. And those different things. But from a physical standpoint, it's either between Terrell Owens and Mike Allstop. Uh, T.O., just because, like I said, I feel like he revolutionized the position of receiver. He was big, fast, could jump out the, 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 the roof. I mean, he was just a physical specimen at that position. Nobody really knew what to do with him at the time. 
Um, and then Mike Allstock. If you had to ask me who's the one guy I would not want to tackle in NFL history, when I see the way Mike Allstock, he was literally running through people like they were sheetrock. It was ridiculous. He would just put his shoulder down and didn't care what the rim he was like to me he was the juggernaut that's what i think of when i think of mike allstock like the juggernaut just starts going and his momentum goes and it's like you can't do nothing with this get out the way it was the cowboy collar that did it i mean that dude <laughs> i've never seen a dude's shoulder yeah. pads so big him and christian okoye like both had shoulder pads yeah, that yeah. were like are do your shoulder pads have shoulder pads like what are you wearing out there but uh, uh we're, we can actually take that go ahead chris i'm sorry fullback position well, here, it's oh, funny yeah. that you say that because I was going to lead right into our uh, our uh, ten minutes it takes with that because I always like to kind of like kind of spin off of where we've been talking at this point, uh, and I'm going to take a little bit of what we just talked about and try to move that into our takes a little bit here. So we're going to go ahead and start our ten minutes it takes. You guys know the drill. I'm going to give you a take. If you agree with it, you can't tell me nothing. Uh, if you disagree, throw a hand up. Tyler's going to hit a buzzer for us, and he is going to let us know uh, that you disagree with that take, and then we will have a heated debate potentially heated debate, like slightly warm debate about it. So let's go ahead and start right there with that because it, it's interesting. The ebb and flow of football seems like what's old is new, but those old things always do seem to come back a little bit. So I'll go ahead and start with that because you still see, see teams doing it, and everybody says down the stretch you need to be able to run the football. Right now the fullback position is all but eliminated in the NFL, it almost seems like. So I'm going to go ahead and say by the year 2020 – more than half of the teams in the NFL have a legit fullback on their roster. I disagree um, because of how soft the NFL has gotten. Uh, with the rule changes, like the, the you, you can't um, you know make contact with the player with your helmet and everything like that. If you watch the way fullbacks really block and, 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 and play, a lot of the times they lead with their head. Um, Especially when they're when they're going through the hole, trying to you know clear out uh, those linebackers, um, I just don't think that the game is you know predicated to fit that that type of football anymore. I would love for it to come back. I really, I really, really would, but I just don't think that we are going to see that much of it to where half the NFL teams are going to have legit fullbacks on their teams. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to disagree with that. All right, so I'm going to go ahead. Chris, did you, you, you agreed with that statement, right? Yeah. More than I'm, half? Yeah. I do, no, I don't agree because the way the rule changes now, especially to protect the quarterback, and we see the way how NFL games are being played. Um, they want like high, high obtained, fast paced offenses. And the way that the fullback position used to play and like the, it, how it was designated, it, I don't see it coming back at all. So we, uh, we'll move on from that one and go ahead to, to one of your other intimidating players, uh, Peyton Manning. Uh, the Denver Broncos in 2013 set the record for the most points scored by a team in the NFL season with 606. Right now, the Kansas City Chiefs lead the NFL with 290 points through eight games thus far this season. A couple people already jumping out of their seats thinking about it. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs break the scoring record for a team in NFL history. Chris, I'll start with you. Go ahead. You said 290 points. 290. Right? So so right now, to get to 606, they would need to average around 39 points a game. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Um, just because the way 
um, they still have the Rams. They still have the Saints. I mean, granted, those games are going to be shootouts, but I don't. I, I just don't see it happening, uh, just like last week. But I, I don't know. I think it's just. But I mean, to your point, I would argue that they're they're going to have to score more points to keep up with the Rams and the Saints. So, and, and they don't have a particularly good defense. So. Aren't you kind of thinking of it as more of a, okay, they're probably going to take the guns out of the hole. I mean, they beat, what was that score week two against Pittsburgh? 42-37? Like, they're scoring in a bunch of, they've either been scoring so much that they take their foot off the gas, or they've been scoring so much and teams are keeping up with them that they have to lose to the Patriots 43-40. to uh, I'm going to say I disagree as well. Just um, based on, on Chris's point, the, the remaining schedule, they still have the Rams. The Ravens' defense is still one of the top uh, defenses in the league, and I think the Chargers are playing um, a lot better defensively. Um, and then low-key, like I said, as far as, like, the Seahawks. Like, over the last four games, they've um, – as far as points per game, I believe they're they're first. Um, I, so I think, you know, I don't think that the, the remaining schedule bodes well. However, I am a believer in that offense. I think they are very, very potent. I think they get very close to that. I just don't see them actually breaking the hump and, and, and breaking that record. And we're also at the midway point of the season, so there's enough ample tape for defensive coordinators to like, okay, listen, we if we cut this off, and not to mention um, injury history, like Sammy Watkins has injury history. Tariq Hill has a hamstring injury like as of right now. So they don't be wishing bad on Sammy like that. I'm messing with you. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just <laughs> saying um, um, injuries have always have, have always crippled um, always top teams in the league. So yeah. if if anything, I think the injury bug is going to like creep up on them. Okay, so I think I'll agree with you guys. I mean, 39 points per game is lofty, even for a team that's scoring the way that they are. Yeah. That, that, that's a lot of points. And if you remember that Peyton team back in 2013, I mean, he was like practically throwing the ball behind his back, and somebody was catching it and running it in the end zone. So um, with that, we're going to take a look at the opposite end of the spectrum, the Buffalo Bills. How many, Real quick, through eight games without looking, how many points do you think the Buffalo Bills have scored this season? If the barometer for height is 290 with the Kansas City Chiefs, how many points have the Buffalo Bills scored this season? Half of that. 79. 87 points for wow. the Buffalo Bills Jesus. thus far this season. Yeah, so, so <laughs> with eight games to go, first of all, there are – I'll say it like this. There are seven teams that have already eclipsed the 200-point mark in the NFL with a couple of teams sitting right in that 180, 190 mark. The Bills sit at 87 points. The Bills, by the end of the season, will have scored more than 200 points on the season. <laughs> so, okay, so let me break it down for you again because this might make you think about it differently. This is a team that scored five one game this year. I just want to <laughs> remind you of that. Uh, the Buffalo Bills need to score a little more than 14 points per game to top 200 points for the season. So I'll ask again. The Buffalo Bills eclipse 200 points this season with Derek Anderson as their quarterback. Okay, Chris, you get, you get, get it. Get, there it is. <laughs> That's it. That's all you need to say. That's perfect. They're just. Bad. I hear. I hear oh, you barking, man. big dog. I get it. I get it. So, uh, yeah, they definitely have uh, have a lot of catching up to do, though. But uh, I mean, it just it, it's a it's a tough time to be a Buffalo Bills fan right now. How is does Nathan Peterman still have a job? Bruh. How does Derek Anderson? Ha I mean, you you literally. No, I get why Derek Anderson. Still do you no, know? no, no, over Nathan Peterman. I'm gonna do be. You, I'm gonna be real. But, this ain't it. This ain't, this it. Is, no, this ain't this it, man. I know, but Nathan Peterman 
is garbage. He needs to literally find out what his next Where do they move. pick right, up Derek right, right, right. But that's the thing. Derek Anderson literally was like cutting his grass and was like, wait, my phone rang? The guy Who phone? would you rather have? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if you're a team, if you're a team that I'd that, rather run Ty Fuego than, than run both of them. Well, Ty Fuego don't run. <laughs> Strictly a pocket passer, Ty Fuego. Strictly pocket passer. But but my point is, if like if you're the Bills, like what, like I don't. I mean, is Derek Anderson really that much better than Nathan Peterman? You're not playing for that. If I had to win one game to get in the playoffs and you told me I had to pick Derek Anderson or Nathan Peterman, okay, I'll take Derek Anderson. Nathan Peterman is still a, a relatively young guy. There's there's so many quarterbacks that you could be like, okay, I'll you know, just off the street. Get get a rookie in there and or or some guy off your practice squad or a different practice squad and let him come in and run an I formation and see if he can kind of make things work. Derek Anderson is a waste of time. I feel like that guy, um, what is his name, from from the Cleveland Browns who got cut, was it Brogan or something like that? Kevin Hogan? No, Brogan. The the backup quarterback, he was like the fourth string on Hard Knocks. And he oh, got cut. okay. They could have brought him in. I but like that's him. my, that's like my that point. Like, I get Derek Anderson was it. So, the Sean McDermott, Derek Anderson connection from being the backup of Carolina and stuff like that. Do you remember Derek Anderson's last game in Carolina? Did he throw two interceptions on his first two passes or something like that? Like, it's not like – I mean, not, Nathan Peterman is not a world beater, but Derek Anderson sure isn't knocking down people's doors either. Uh, so, Buffalo is well, just – Well, Buffalo was knocking down his door. Well, they're <laughs> knocking on the wrong door. It's, uh, yeah, Bill's Mafia has just got to be like, <laughs> why? <laughs> uh, okay, so we got a little bit more time left, so we're going to go ahead and keep on rolling. You know, it's it, it's interesting. We ended up going down a Le'Veon Bell uh, track last week, but the first one I had here on my uh, 10 minutes it takes was that Hugh Jackson's going to be the first coach fired this season. So that's already obviously come to fruition. Agree. So I'll go ahead and go with this. Dirk Cutter is the next coach fired this season. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and say that we agree with that because Tampa Bay, it seems like he got he, – Lovey Smith got shown the door because Dirk Cutter was supposed to take, you know, uh, uh, Jameis Winston to the next level, and obviously right now he's got Ryan Fitzmagic. So unless he literally has Fitzmagic and gets this team in any sort of contention to, to do anything, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think Dirk Cutter's job is, is very secure uh, for the next few weeks. So um, it's interesting. So we talked about Josh Gordon got traded, Amari Cooper got traded, Demarius Thomas got traded, Golden Tate got traded. Des Bryant's on a roster before the end of the season. I don't think it's happening. I think it's um, – I think he – I think maybe next season, but this season, unless it's a catastrophic, like, like number one guy, like we need a receiver – type situation um i just don't think it i don't think it's gonna happen i think his only last opportunity for him having a home was houston especially after will fuller went down and they and they opted to get demarius thomas instead and he to me he already shot his opportunity down when he turned down that three-year contract to baltimore how about detroit i mean because that's what that's what in my mind i'm like you know after the whole golden tate thing i'm just like you know what they I don't. I don't see anybody who's a legit number one. Like I, I think Marvin Jones is good. I don't think he's a number one. I don't know necessarily if Dez can be a number one anymore. But if you have 
two solid number twos, you could kind of get away yeah, with it. But if you're, but again, the reason you got rid of Golden Tate is because you're like, okay, we might as well just blow this up and try to start over. So and I don't think they, you can yeah, like, sure. you still got Marvin Jones, still got Kenny Dowell. They're trying to become a run first team with uh, Carry On Johnson, LeGarrette Blunt, and Theo Riddick. So I don't see them going out and reaching out to Dez, especially like if Detroit's not going to be in any serious contention. For sure. Okay, so real quick, just to wrap this up. Uh, we had mentioned Hugh Jackson is the first coach fired. We're going to agree that Dirk Cutter is probably next. Lincoln Riley is the coach of the Cleveland Browns next season. <laughs> I disagree. I don't. I don't think it happens. It's tough for um, college coaches to make that transition to the NFL. It's way too. College is a, a lot more paying. It's a lot less stress. So I don't see him making that jump. I'll tell you what makes it a lot easier to make that jump if Baker Mayfield's your quarterback, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. Yeah, but we, we, Chip Kelly also saw the same, same thing. Like when he traded nearly half his team to get Marcus Mario, and he ended up in Tennessee. I think Greg Williams is going to do well. I think he's going to be coach. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say Lincoln Riley's the coach of the Cleveland Browns next year, and you guys can deal with uh, that. Uh, we'll dark, come back to the hot take. Dark horse. Uh, maybe Jim Harbaugh. Maybe might get another shot. Hmm. Could be interesting. Okay. Depends on. We got to go blue shirt in the house today. Okay. So uh, if he makes a run, you got to think that he's gonna. You got to think if Michigan runs the table that they're yeah. that they're in the playoff yeah. picture. But I mean, right now LSU is in the playoff picture and they're home against Alabama and they're fourteen and a half point dogs. Yeah. So Alabama just looks like they just might be, which happens every season. It always looks like there's yeah. one team that looks like they could do it, but all it takes is one loss at the at the right time, and Purdue. and that's it for the season. <laughs> Purdue. So Purdue is a prime <laughs> example. Boilermakers, what up? You need uh, to get it, that cough checked out. It is the Air It Out podcast brought to you by Inside the Hashes, insidethehashes.com. Uh, we've got plenty of college content there you can go ahead and find. Of course, we've got your NFL covered as well. Don't forget that Madden tournament coming November 10th and 11th. Go ahead and get yourself registered for a shot to win some cash if you're good with the sticks. Go ahead and get yourself registered for that for Christopher Thomas, Avery Collins, Tyler Brando. I am Kevin Crockett saying, when in doubt, air it out. Air it out.